Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to the Train Happy Podcast. My name is Tally Rye and this week I'm not joined by a guest. It is me, myself and I because I realised, you know, having asked you, regular listeners, who, you know, your dream guest would be, and feel free to send in your recommendations. Uh, Someone pointed out that they'd love to hear from me more about intuitive movement, and I kind of had a moment where I realised I hadn't done that yet. So that is what today's episode is going to be about. This is going to be an introduction to intuitive movement, um, giving you a bit more of an understanding as to what it is, what it entails, and how it can help improve your relationship with movement. But before we get going into intuitive movement chat, let's hear from this week's Train Happy Trooper of the Week. So today's Train Happy moment comes from Emma. And just a warning, we're going to be discussing disordered behaviours. But I think this is quite a good um, Train Happy moment to share for today's episode. Emma says, my train happy moment relates to my morning walk. I was diagnosed with a restrictive eating disorder just over two years ago now and despite food restriction being a significant part at one time, I'm increasingly finding challenging my rigid exercise routines and standards to be the hardest mountain in recovery. When lockdown started, my morning walk was meant to be a healthy way to start the day by clearing my head and creating some routine. With the anxiety of lockdown, this walking quickly got out of hand and my body soon started telling me this as I injured myself and could barely walk for a week. I've since brought it back under control, however my thinking is still very rigid and at times I feel like the walk is a chore rather than the health-promoting, nice way to start the day I intended it to be. My train happy moment happened on Monday this week when I broke down in tears and finally admitted to my boyfriend that I don't always enjoy my morning walk, but the thought of not going or not doing the same distance every day makes me feel guilty and that it's not good enough. Since then, we have talked it through and come up with some ideas for how I can develop flexibility around my walking, such as going at lunchtime instead of in the morning and doing different routes that I don't know how long they are. Since Monday, Every morning this week, I've done a different and consciously shorter route. It's felt hard each day for different reasons, but my hips are already feeling a bit of relief. And today I even use the time I gained to stay in bed a little bit longer and have some much needed rest. I'm also working on flexibility with my workouts, such as choosing Pilates videos I've never done before, rather than the ones I only deemed, quote, good enough. Thank you so much for all the work you do around intuitive exercise and body acceptance. Um, thank you, Emma. And like I said, this train happy moment, I have to say, uh, really is a really great kind of scene setting for today's discussion around intuitive movement. And I actually hope that discussing the framework of intuitive movement today will help you navigate 
uh, this your relationship with movement and with walking and with all those different things and I so appreciate your honesty and openness and I hope that those listening if you can relate know that you're not alone and that we can challenge these things and we can overcome them so if you would like to be featured as train happy trooper of the week with your train happy moment please email us at trainhappypodcast at gmail.com or you can direct message us on Instagram at the at train happy Instagram account if that's easier for you and we would love to hear you and feature you on future episodes okay so let's get into our chat about intuitive movement so if you know the title of this podcast is called the train happy podcast which is the extension of my book title and my book is called train happy and when I wrote train happy my goal was to really write about intuitive movement however there needed to be a lot of context given to this discussion and you know there's only a certain word count you get given when you're writing a book as well and I have to say I would love to write even more on intuitive movement and that topic um so you never know watch this space so I feel that if you have read my book or if you are going to read my book then I think you'll get a really good basic understanding of intuitive movement there however I hope through the discussions on this podcast so far that's helped bring it to life a bit for you but I also hope this kind of introduction today and hearing me chat about it also helps bring it to life and give it more meaning and and use in your uh in in your life as you as you may be trying to have a positive relationship with movement and also a positive relationship and trusting relationship with your body. So what is intuitive movement? So for intuitive movement, we use the framework of intuitive eating, which we have chatted about quite a lot on this podcast so far. The framework is originally created by dietitians Evelyn Tribley and Elise Resch, and it contains 10 principles. Now, I took those 10 principles and have applied them to specifically focus on movement. And this ended up with there being nine principles because one of the principles of intuitive movement is about uh, exercise and is about our relationship with movement. However, I kind of took that and expanded on it and hence the nine. So these nine principles... It starts with, and if you're familiar with intuitive eating, you're probably going to be familiar with this language, but just there's a few changes to make it, like I say, uh, exercise and movement specific. So firstly, reject the diet mentality, number one. Number two, honour your appetite for exercise. Number three, stop when satisfied. Number four, make peace with exercise. Number five, challenge the fitness police. Number six, discover the feel-good factor. Number seven, managing emotions. Number eight, accepting your body. And number nine, gentle guidance. Now, the aim of these principles is to help you gain trust and connection with your body so that you have that what's known as interoceptive awareness, but what's known as that kind of inner knowing 
to make the best decisions for your body in terms of how you choose to move your body. So, you know, when we talk about the influence of diet culture on our relationship with exercise and the influence of diet culture generally, we know that its major role is that it can gaslight us into not trusting ourselves, is that it tells us that we aren't the expert of our bodies and we need external help or uh, we need uh, external ideas to be, uh, we must always outsource our trust to people who know what they're doing, you know? So we don't trust ourselves to eat, so we eat from a meal plan that we get from a personal trainer. We don't trust ourselves to exercise, so we follow a plan from a personal trainer. Now, I'm going to caveat that by saying that (laughs) plans have their place, and they have their place in intuitive eating, and they have their place in intuitive movement. But if you are solely relying on other people telling you how to eat and telling you how to move your body, um, and you do not trust yourself, and I also we should say that if you are in early stages of eating disorder recovery, you will need people to give you more firm guidance and you will need to follow meal plans, etc. Um, and it's important in, in, in that scenario. But if you are constantly outsourcing that sense of trust um, and you don't trust yourself, you know, the way we don't have... Tr- you know, we don't trust ourselves around keeping chocolate in the cupboards or we don't trust ourselves that if we worked out intuitively, we'd never move again. That's because diet culture has eroded that connection and trust with our bodies and has got us thinking of, in this context, exercise and movement as simply a means to earn and burn food, a chore you must do, something you must endure so that you can get or maintain a smaller body and that people only work out to meet this beauty and body ideal, that this Eurocentric beauty and body ideal that we all feel so pressured to live up to. So the goal of this framework is to help you be freer of that, to to build that trust and connection, to, to, yeah, just to get a sense of freedom. We talk about food freedom with intuitive eating, and I want you to have movement freedom. I want you to be able to move your body on your own terms, in your own way, that is coming from a place of self-care rather than Uh, you know, self-hate that is coming from a place of respect rather than um, a sense of punishment and penance for food you've eaten. That's where I want you to get to. So that is our goal with intuitive movement. So I thought we would talk through those nine principles that I listed um, and I'll give you kind of a little chat about them. Principle number one, reject the diet mentality. So you may be familiar with this principle. If you've read intuitive eating, if you've done work on intuitive eating, this is the first principle of intuitive eating. 
and it's the first principle for intuitive movement. So in the same way that we um, are rejecting the diet mentality when it comes to our relationship with food, we want to be doing that with movement too, because as Emma, our trained happy trooper, pointed out, you know, you can work on the food stuff, but then you realize that we have a whole ton of rules and ideas about, you know, how much we should move, why we're moving, you know, what we're doing. Um, and once again, we're not, we're not necessarily doing that as a, as a self-care practice, but we're doing that as a, out of fear, out of guilt. So rejecting the diet mentality, um, comes under kind of four little steps and I should say that rejecting the diet mentality could be where people are at for a while because diets are enticing and we spoke about this on previous podcasts before but diets are enticing the, the idea of one more diet you know there might be one you know you might have done a lot but there might just be this final one out there for you this final uh you know and in the fitness world, that may come in the form of that influencer's app. She looks amazing, so I could look amazing. Or, you know, someone's posted before and after photos of their clients doing a 12-week plan. Maybe I should buy their 12-week plan and get the before and after photo. And it's very alluring to, to want that. And it's normal. And you shouldn't feel bad for that because we're in a society that is constantly throwing that in our face that is constantly bombarding us with that message especially at this time of year so I want you to just well we'll get to it in a second but I want you to you know be kind to yourself with this principle and recognize that just because you might hear this episode just because you might read a book we can't snap our fingers and all of the stuff we've learned suddenly dissolve it takes unlearning and undoing and that's what these principles are about to help you undo a lot of that stuff. So firstly, we recognize and acknowledge the harm diets do. That can be very personal for the individual. um, And that may be in the context of fitness, you recognize the harm that, uh, once again, referring back to Emma's Train Happy Trooper moment, the harm that that her walking was doing to her body. She was injured. It was physical harm that it caused um, from, you know, over-exercising. So has there been psychological harm done in terms of how you feel about your body, how you feel about uh, certain exercise environments, how you feel about, um, you know, actual exercise itself? Do you, have you also you know, attempted the same diet and embarked on a similar journey over and over again and expected different results and they haven't come in the way that you thought? And did you blame yourself for that when it wasn't your fault? That's what we're talking about here. Next, we want to be aware of the diet mentality traits and mindset, especially when we're talking about fitness. Now, If you listen to last week's episode with Lucy Mountain, we kind of discussed this and how the fitness industry is getting a lot sneakier with its diet uh, culture and with with the way it talks about dieting traits and the dieting mindset because it's very much, you know, 
changing the language to to be more subtle because it's not cool to say you're on a diet anymore. It's not cool to to say that um, everyone should fit a little black dress, for example. But things have had to change and evolve, and now we think a bit about wellness. But you know, these wellness cleanses, um, they're not about weight loss, but we just happened to show a before and after photo where someone got smaller and that's how we use to advertise. So think about those things, how they're sneaky. So think about the images you're seeing. Think about the phrases that are being used, particularly when we're talking about exercise. A diet mentality always pitches exercise as a tool to change our bodies. So whether the exercise is being, I just think of YouTube videos, the exercise is being advertised as, you know, get rid of your bingo wings, flat tummy workout, big glutes workout, because there's a bit more nuance there. But with that idea of like, you know, big glutes workout, even though we're not getting smaller, right, with there's still this idea that your glutes aren't good enough until they're big. And that is influenced by diet culture and that is influenced by the beauty and body standard we have right now um, going into 2021. Also think about the weight bias um, that is used. And, you know, we talk about how diet culture is the way in which um, is, a, is a tool of fat phobia and is a way that we create a hierarchy of of bodies really of body shapes and body sizes and we've put at the you know at the top of the pyramid you know at the top of the pedestal we've put this like I say this one particular body ideal that we're all trying to aim for um and it's not fair because we know we all come in different shapes and sizes um so notice how people refer to those in larger bodies notice when you watch your favorite TV shows that so many fat jokes are made, so many. Um, there's a wonderful Instagram account, Alex Light. She is called at Alex Light underscore LDN. And she does some fantastic deep dives because I think she was a journalist by trade and she does a lot of stuff around recovery and she looks at where we got certain ideas about our bodies and she's like done a deep dive on the Bridget Jones movies and the way weight was spoken about in those um, contexts, in your favorite movies, in your favorite TV shows. Because when you start to, and I know it's annoying, I know it's annoying, and we discussed this last week as well, but once you start to see diet culture, you realize, oh my goodness, it, it is everywhere. And then finally, think about the behaviors that are um, based on the in the diet mindset. Those behaviors that are strongly linked to dieting and restrictions. So if you have been, you know, exercise has long been part of your dieting routine. And, you know, once you, if you're changing your eating habits, you're changing your exercise habits, or perhaps you don't exercise, you only exercise when you're, quote, being good, being healthy on a health kick. Um, and you don't do it any other time. So Jan January is a prime time for that. Um, think about how you're, why you're thinking about exercise in that way and so the next kind of step of rejecting the diet mentality is getting rid of the diet tools so it goes without saying that I'm all for smashing the scales I'm all for getting a hammer to your weighing scales <laughs> um I think it's so liberating uh to 
to know that a number does not define you in that way. And a number does never gives the whole picture, never. And similarly, when we're talking about our fitness watches and Laura Thomas, who we had um, at the beginning of the month, uh, she talks about the idea of having a Fitbit funeral. Now, I love that. I, I think that's so funny. But you may want, you will find that if you're trying to very specifically repair your relationship with movement, if you're trying to learn to listen to your body, become more intuitive, build the trust and connection, taking a break and taking the fitness watch off is a really key element. It's not to say that you can't have it again in the future. It's saying for this, for this specific process, um, it's really good to take a break from it. So you can really learn to tune into yourself rather than looking at all these numbers and data to tell you rather than you physically feeling it and you physically knowing it. Um, you know, you need to, rather than going, oh, my heart rate's not high enough, but I'm really tired, go, oh, I'm really tired. Um, that's okay. Um, there's a time and a place for a, a Fitbit um, if in certain aspects of training. I do not I do not think they're essential wear. I don't think we need them. I think, um, you know, this is another avenue to, um, another thing to buy, really. <laughs> but I think um, for this as well, I strongly recommend taking a break. And I know that those of you who have taken a break and got in touch with me to tell me so have found it really liberating. Okay, so we're only on principle number one. That was one of the longer principles, so... And so I should also say that these principles, and this is not necessarily a step-by-step -step process that, okay, number one, reject the diet mentality. Okay, I've done that. Now, next. These things can be happening simultaneously. Everyone needs to really work on that rejecting the diet mentality. But if you feel that you are still overcoming that hurdle, you can work on other things as well. You can be doing lots of this simultaneously. We've got um, the last principle that I mentioned, which was um, gentle guidance. That I generally would keep towards the end. So kind of bookmarking, book, you know, two bookends of rejection of diet mentality and gentle guidance. And in between, you can kind of work out the, the order and you can do things simultaneously that work for you and your specific experience. So number two, honour your appetite for exercise. Because... I don't know if you know what you actually want to do and how you want to move your body and, and where and why and when. Because those things have become so outsourced. You know, we read a magazine article, we watch someone on Instagram telling us what we should be doing that I don't know if, if you and I know. I know I certainly didn't know for a long time. I just knew what everyone else was doing and I just copied them. So ask yourself these questions, you know, when do you want to move? What time of the day? How long do you want to move your body for? Because in the intuitive movement mindset, you know, your workout doesn't have to be, you know, an hour long. It doesn't have to be 45 minutes. It can be to the point where you feel, okay, cool. That felt good. And that could be an hour, that could be 10 minutes. It's all down to you to figure that out and to, and to really experiment 
a lot of this stuff around intuitive movement, I find, particularly with the movement side of stuff, it's experimenting with play. And it's kind of figuring out like, oh, I can just do what I want and you can have fun with it. So yeah, think about what exercise is appealing because, you know, once again, thinking um, relating to my own experience, I always thought I should be doing gym-based exercise. I thought I should be doing weights. I thought I should be, um, you know, working out a different body part each day and that's how I should be doing it. And I've since discovered that there are actually such a multitude of ways in which I like to move my body. The gym is part of it, but it's not the only way and it's not my main focus anymore. And if you, you know, follow me online, you know, I've been loving doing anything dance related, anything dance related. I love it because, and you know, in my, when I was in the diet, my mentality, dance related fitness didn't count. It wasn't a workout. And we'll get into that. We will get into that. So once you've thought about what is appealing and all the different ways you can move your body, I would say just experiment, have fun, do different things. Ask yourself, when is my body saying enough? This is the building. These are the kind of foundations and building blocks of trust with yourself. When is your body saying enough? You know, I have worked in personal training studios. I've worked in gyms and you know I've seen people teach classes and it's really interesting to me that there can often be you know say you're doing press-ups right and you're in a class and it's kind of like a boot camp style class and you know you're completely at your limit you're completely at your limit as someone in the class you've really pushed yourself and you've got that trainer shouting two more two more don't stop you're not allowed to stop and In that moment, and I say this as 100% having been that trainer, taught that class in that manner, but I say that in, in going, well, I think in that moment, you need to have the discernment to say, oh, maybe I could do two more, or do you know what? I'm going to take this at my own pace because I know that this is pushing me sufficiently. This is, this is definitely doing what I need it to do in terms of challenging my strength. Um, and if I did do two more, I think I would be exhausting myself and I'd be overdoing it um, and I could potentially hurt myself. And having that judgment um, seems like a very trivial thing, but actually is a really powerful tool in how you can apply intuitive movement to a class setting, for example. Um, but also how you can do that with yourself when you're doing workouts on your own is that you really learn to go at your own pace Um and trust yourself to, you know, choose the modification that works for you or choose the, you know, the weight that actually feels, you know, adequate rather than trying to, your ego choosing the weight you're lifting. And then always think about how energetic are you today? Where's your energy at? Could you raise your energy through movement? Do you need to use that energy? Do you have anger and frustration energy? Do you need to like get that out somewhere? Or do you need to match your energy and just do something really gentle and relaxing and really centering yourself? Um, And so really think about your energy because movement should be an extension of that energy and should be a way to use that energy. And we shouldn't be fighting ourselves. We should be working with ourselves. Number three, stop when satisfied. 
And I suppose we kind of discussed that just then, but really think about, and in my book, I actually kind of joined these two principles together, but think about what feedback does your body give you when it is tired and fatigued? And sometimes you're going to build this, you're going to build your kind of knowledge around this through trial and error. So if you're trying to start to learn these cues with yourself, you may want to start keeping note of how you feel, whether it's a mental note or, you know, physically writing stuff down in terms of just jotting a few things down before and after a workout with just a little, few little notes saying, you know, I felt like this, um, in the sense saying, you know, I wanted to do four rounds of a circuit and actually on the fourth round, it was... I was actually overdoing it and I could have hurt myself. And you just make a note of that and go, okay, so how do I get to quality rather than quantity next time? Because that seems to suit me. Um, and how do you know what that satisfaction feels like? Because, you know, as we spoke about, when you've only thought that exercise is to, to you know, to absolutely feel like it's going to destroy you and you have to burn as many calories as possible and, and just you know, finish your workout crawling away. Um, we don't learn, we don't learn satisfaction. We learn to be completely exhausted. We learn exhaustion. We don't learn satisfaction. And there's a fine line with that. Okay. Number four, make peace with exercise. So have you had an all or nothing relationship with exercise? Have you, you know, always thought that um, exercise, like I said, is something that is related so strongly to dieting and restriction and that those two very much come hand in hand. And it may have been part of a um, set of disordered behaviors around food, your body and the way you move. And so through the process of making peace with movement, you may need to take a break. You may need to rest. And I really love the, the idea of something called unconditional permission to rest. Now, when we in intuitive eating, we talk about unconditional permission to eat. And I want you to think about unconditional permission to rest. Because I'm such an advocate for people moving their bodies in a variety of ways, in a way that brings them joy and is, you know, health promoting and caring to their bodies. But equally, rest is health-promoting and caring and important and an important part of looking after our physical and emotional well-being. And so a lot of the rhetoric around movement has so often been, you know, no days off. Um, you, we must move every day. We've spoken about fitness watches, this idea that you have to close your rings every day or reach a certain step count every day, every single day every day is causing us to not to miss out to miss out on the wonderful practice that is rest and rest is hard and I say this like I'm a perfectionist hence a lot of my <laughs> disordered past um and the rest part has been hard for me because even when we're not thinking about exercise, we think we've always we should always be productive. We should always be ticking stuff off our to-do list. If I haven't worked out today, I haven't been productive. If I haven't done X, Y, Z, I haven't been productive. If I haven't, um, you know, recorded a podcast, I haven't been productive. 
I get this in a dialogue all the time and I'm sure you do too because we're living in a society that really glorifies productivity and hustle. However, it is important that we take time to rest and in that rest, your body knows that it can move loads because it knows it's going to get rest. Yeah, it can focus on that. I like to think with movement in general, quality over quantity. I know that when I do work out, I can just to give it all that I, you know, give it everything because I know I get to rest as well. And I know that there's no moral value to those two things. That's really key. I know that I'm a good person if I rest and I'm a good person if I work out because my, my value as a person is not defined by my productivity levels. It is not defined by my workout. And I think that's a huge part of making peace with exercise because we see it as, you know, especially in the last few years, it's become so, so part of so many of our identities and, you know, really learning to take a step back from that kind of neutralizes it. We're trying to neutralize how we think about exercise. And in the same way we have good and bad foods, I want you to think about there aren't, and we don't, well, we, I should say, we don't think there are good and bad foods. All foods fit. All movement fits. There isn't a good move, way to move. There isn't a bad way to move. All movement fits. All movement has a place for the individual, depending on what you would like to do, how you would like to move. And that's one of my biggest frustrations with diet culture and the way that fitness has been marketed is that there's only one right way to do it because the right way gets you this dream body. And therefore, so many of us are missing out on really great, different, unique, adventurous ways to move. There are so many brilliant ways to move, but because we've thought, because we're told that we must burn loads of calories, so we must be doing HIIT, we must be in the gym, we must be, you know, out going for, going out for a run, that if we're not doing those things, if we choose to do something completely different like climbing or cycling, dancing, that those things aren't, aren't quite as good. They haven't got the same, you know, validation in the fitness industry. And I think that's a really sad thing. So we want to take that away. We want to take that away. We're neutralizing that. The best way to move your body is the one that works for you. The best way to move your body is the way that works for you. Number five, and there's kind of a bit of overlap with the idea of making peace and our next principle of challenging the fitness police. So we've spoken about this idea of good and bad exercise, but what other rules do you have around movement? What other rules have you picked up in magazines, um, in different articles, on TV, from movies, from the favorite, your favorite fitness influencers? What rules have you created? Perhaps that's about a certain, you must run a certain distance. You must work out for a certain amount of time. You must burn a certain amount of calories. You must reach a certain heart rate. 
you must sweat a certain amount. There can be so many different ways in which we have created rules around the way we choose to move. And I want you to ask yourself, what rules do I have? Where did they come from? And I mentioned the Bridget Jones thing before. Where did you pick this up? I know that I had a rule about the length of time that I had to work out. And it was such a novelty to get to the end of what the, the workout I wanted to do and look at my watch and go, huh, um, I finished earlier than I anticipated. And I don't have to fill this time. I can just go. I can just, I can just do what I want. I would refer you back to the episode I did with Michelle Elman, um, where she spoke about her relationship with leaving workout classes when she wants, with finishing workouts on her own terms. And I loved, I loved that conversation with her about that. I think Michelle's attitude around this is so spot on with intuitive movement, whether she realized it or not. She really embodies it. And I I love that. And then think about how you can challenge the rules you have. So, you know, if your rule is that you must um, work out a certain amount of times a week and you know that, you know, you're doing that out of, from a place of fear and guilt, a lot of this is coming back to the intention behind what we're doing. Because as I've said before, all movement counts. All different ways of moving your body are valid. The most interesting part of intuitive movement is about why you're doing it, not what you're doing. It's why you're doing it. So if you're moving from a place of care, self-care, respect, fun and joy, that's great because that's sustainable. That's something you can, you actually like doing, you enjoy doing it and you can see yourself doing it long term. That's wonderful. If we're moving our bodies from a place of guilt and fear and shame, that will never be a long-term effective tool of habit change if that's what you're looking to do. That won't satisfy you long-term because things might never be good enough. And as long as you're outsourcing this to other people, it will never be good enough because someone else could set new goalposts for you. Someone else could set new um parameters for which you have to try and reach and we really want to shift that intention and so I really think it's powerful to challenge these rules and once again going back to train happy trooper moment I said this was a brilliant one for this episode Emma spoke about the idea of not going on the same route or her walking route that she used to go on and doing different routes that she didn't know the um, distance of. That's challenging the rules. That's challenging the, uh, the diet mentality. That's challenging all those things. And I think that's really important because the ultimate goal there is to build trust with your body. So when I challenge, when I challenge my rule and I do it and it's scary, but I win, I do do it. You are building trust with your body. And like I said, that trust is the key player in an intuitive relationship with movement. Okay, number six. I'm conscious of time. I thought this wasn't going to go on too long today, but I feel like (laughs) 
win. We're, all, we're, we're halfway. We're halfway. Number six, discover the feel good factor. So in my book, I literally write in capital, le- in capital letters, exercise is not a punishment. It is not a punishment. It is not something you do. It's not something you have to do to earn your food, to feel less guilty about eating, to feel less guilty about existing in your body. It is not about earning and burning. It is, it should be, and when it is about self-care and respect and joy and play, it can be transformative because we know there are so many wonderful benefits of moving your body that we've discussed across this series. Um, But if we're not moving regularly, we're not going to experience them. And the best way to, to move regularly is to do what you enjoy and to do what makes you feel good, which is what this is all about. So I want you to just really think about the way you move your body and really just assess because the way you move your body should make you feel really good. It should make you feel good physically, emotionally, mentally. It should, it, it can be challenging, but it can be rewarding. It can be energizing. It can be centering, grounding. It can be so many wonderful things. Is it that for you? Is it that for you? And once again, if it isn't for you, switch it up, play, experiment, find loads of different ways to move your body because there's so many different ways. It doesn't have to be in the gym. It doesn't have to be in the gym. For me, that was the gym thing was, was a big, a big um, breakthrough for me with this, realizing that I could move my body so in so many different places. I mean, right now the gym isn't in the UK. The gym is not an option for us. (laughs) So that helps. Okay. Number seven, managing emotions. This is something I'm quite passionate about because, and I think it's great that we're talking about the mental health benefits of exercise. Oh my goodness. We know, we know they're great. We know it's going to lift our mood. It can help manage it can help. It can be a tool in a toolkit to help manage our mood and our anxieties. And particularly in this present moment, it can be one way in which it can help. But I think it's really important we make the distinction that exercise alone cannot solve these these things, that we should not only rely on exercise alone to manage our low mood and our anxiety and depression and and all those things. So in my discussion with Laura Thomas, um, when we spoke to her for the first episode this year, we spoke about the self-care toolkit. And in that we talked you know, she speaks about in her latest book, which is a workbook, um, how to just eat it. She speaks about the idea of building a self-care toolkit. And I'm going to try and explain this briefly because 
So many of us have a strained relationship with food and exercise, especially if we think of it as an emotional thing, because we're, we might not have that many tools in our toolkit. And so we heavily rely on one thing. Um, we heavily rely on exercise and then we get into over-exercising and compulsive exercising because we don't have anything else to fall back on. But if we can build a toolkit of therapy and uh, journaling, movement can certainly be in there, but it could be singing, it could be um, social connection, having a friend or loved one to talk to, to be really truthful and honest and vulnerable with. Those are all forms of connection, whether it's creative expression and artwork, those can be real, a really great things to have in your self-care toolkit and I recommend listening to the episode with Laura to hear more from her about that because she's done some brilliant work about that with her workbook as well and so I want you to think that we can use um we can use movement as a way to help deal with emotions and a way to help us cope with them um and the way I like to think of it is that when I'm working out, it's not to solve the issue, but it helps give me the strength to face the issue, to actually deal with it, to really, you know, to, to sit with some uncomfortable stuff. It helps me to do that rather than the actual workout itself being the, like I say, the cure. Principle number eight. Now, this is a big one and, you know, could be its own podcast in itself, but that is accepting your body. And I believe this to be one of the the toughest principles for many, along with the rejecting the diet mentality. I think they're two very closely linked things because we tie so much of our self-worth and we tie so much of the dieting dream to achieving this body and beauty ideal that diet culture told us we should all be. Um, And so sadly, we've had a very narrow view of what what bodies look like and and we think we should be you know have proportions and a complexion that that the you know the vast majority of the population just don't have um because we're meant to be diverse we're meant to come in all different shapes and sizes um Sonia Renee Taylor who is a wonderful poet and writer and activist and does amazing work around self-love and body image and I highly recommend listening to the podcast episode the Brené Brown podcast episode with Sonia Renee Taylor she talks about in that episode actually how we never question that trees you know we never question the trees in the forest that come in all different shapes and sizes we never question that nature does that we never question how dogs come in all shapes and sizes that's a natural thing we never, we never question how there are so many different types of flowers. And yet we seem to, <laughs> we seem to question that there are so many different types of, of bodies and that, that that's wrong and it's not natural. And, and actually we're all meant to look different and, and come in different shapes and sizes. And that's, you know, body diversity is very normal and very real. And I think what's really important to say is that fit bodies are diverse They come in different shapes and sizes. They look different. Fit bodies don't just have six packs. Fit bodies aren't a a certain body fat percentage. Fit people come in all shapes and sizes. And 
once again, the diet culture kind of co-opting fitness has shown us this view of fitness and it's on the cover of women's health and it's on the cover of men's health and we feel like we can't live up to it um and therefore alienates a lot of people from moving their bodies which once again frustrates me <laughs> um I think the recent Cosmo cover shows how how empowering it can be when we see diverse bodies represented in that conversation and yet sadly there's parts of the industry that want to remove that element of inclusivity they want they want to demonize those in larger bodies um and and you know they don't want to see them in fitness and the irony is the irony is that a lot of the people who make these claims supposedly want people to work out they just don't want to see it and that's just fat phobia in action to be honest So coming back to this principle, because I kind of went off on a tangent. I think it's also really important to say your healthiest body may not be your smallest body. And that can be very confusing, very confusing when, like I say, we've really been, really been, um, it's been rammed down our throat that our smallest body is our healthiest body. That smaller is always healthier, without question, seemingly. And it isn't, that's not true. It's just not true. Your healthiest body may not be your smallest body. Um, because when we're thinking of health, we're thinking of our mental health. <laughs> we're thinking of our physical health. If you have to lose your period to maintain a certain weight, how can we say that that's our healthiest? Um, that's a red flag. That's a red flag that your body is not meant to be there, you know? And I say this from experience. Um, and it's just the amount of praise we get. Um, I think, sadly, the amount of praise I hear from people in all different body shapes, particularly those who are in a larger body who, when they ha- have lost weight previously due to an eating disorder, that that is praised. And we know that eating disorders is one of the deadliest mental illnesses there is. And I think um, just the way we conflate this idea of just smaller is always healthier is just so wrong and inaccurate. And we really need to include more about the mental health aspect in the conversation as well. So when we're thinking about this idea of body acceptance, particularly in the context of movement, I want to come back to my favorite phrase from Beauty Redefined. We had Lexi Kite on a few weeks ago. And you've probably heard this quite a lot now on the podcast, but I think it's always worth repeating. Your body is an instrument to be used, not an ornament to be looked at. And when I think a huge part of, in the context of movement, of accepting our body is being you know, realizing we're meant to do things with our body. We can achieve physical things with our body. You can hike up a mountain and see a view and you did that with your body. You know, you can lift something really heavy. You can swim in the ocean. You can, um, I don't know, you can, trying to think of something really cool. I don't know. You can do some sort of um, acrobatics. That's cool. Um, 
And your body is meant to be used. It's meant to be used. And when we're working out solely for our body to be looked at, we're doing it a disservice. We're doing it a massive disservice. If we're doing it just for aesthetics, we're just doing ourselves a disservice. Because when we can think about what we can do, from there we can really start to build confidence. We can build um, a sense of pride in what we're doing. We can start to feel empowered. And we can take that feeling into different aspects of our life. But most of all, with body acceptance, I want you to have a ton of self-compassion because like I say, we're swimming against the tide. <laughs> you know, accepting your body in a world that doesn't want, want us to is hard and therefore be kind to yourself. Be really kind to yourself. Really kind. And finally, finally, gentle guidance. So like I said, this is the the other bookend of the principles. And I like to think of this as the cherry on top of the cake. So like I say, there's a common misconception that people who move intuitively don't have any structure and they just freestyle everything they're doing. That very, that may well happen um, initially when you're figuring this out, because this could be a process for you of weeks, months, years working through this stuff and getting to a really happy place in your relationship with movement. And when you're figuring that out, you may want to lose all structure and all routine and really focus on being extremely intuitive. But when you're ready to, and when you feel that it's safe to, and I say that in a sense of especially those who've experienced a disordered relationship with exercise in terms of over-exercising, compulsive exercising, when it feels safe to embark on perhaps setting goals and working towards achieving something, perhaps that may be raising money for charity through a physical challenge like running a marathon, you've, you're definitely going to need uh, guidance. You're definitely going to need some sort of workout plan there. You're definitely going to want to track you might want to track your training in that sense, in terms of your pace per mile and all those sorts of things. You might want to start bringing, you know, bringing those things back in. But the difference is this time is that we're always allowing for flexibility. We're always there's room for maneuver there. There's room. There's you know, regardless of the plan, there's always going to be room for maneuver. If you need to take an extra rest day, it's not the end of the world. Everything's not ruined. It is what it is. You know, we go with the flow. And we just allow for that level of flexibility that diet culture often doesn't afford us. Diet culture is very much sets of rigid rules, strict rules that we have to follow. And we're either on the wagon or we're off the wagon and there's nowhere in between. So we're getting rid of the wagon altogether and we're bringing in our own thing. And we're allowing for there to, you know, like I say, be that level of um, room for maneuver. So. I think that is a good introduction to the principles of intuitive movement. If you have more questions on this, please let me know. Once again, email into trainhappypodcast at gmail.com or send a direct message on Instagram to the at trainhappypodcast Instagram account because I wonder if it might be worth doing a part two if you are interested, if you have enjoyed this episode. It's been really fun chatting to you about um, intuitive movement. And, and I'm sure there are loads of myths that I could bust around 
and questions raised that you felt you would like to be answered. So I would love to chat about that further with you. Maybe you would like to hear more on it. So thank you so much for listening. I've really enjoyed talking to you about this. Remember, you can read about more of this in my book, Train Happy. And I will link a few of the things I referenced in the show notes for you as well. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye, everyone. And that is it for this week's episode of the Train Happy Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you took something away from this episode. And if you did, please let me know by sending feedback. You can find us on Instagram at Train Happy Podcast. Or even better, it would be amazing if you could rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you're listening, as it really, really helps to support and boost the Train Happy message. And remember, if you have had a recent moment where this stuff has just started clicking for you, then share your story with us via email, trainhappypodcast at gmail.com to become the train happy trooper of the week. And if you have a burning question you would like me to answer, then please send those in too. And it may be answered in our bonus Q&A episodes. Once again, thank you for listening and I will speak to you soon. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.